right, folks, welcome to another week of Three Times Dope podcast. You know, we got our guy who will be here in a second, but this ain't about him. This is about us. <laughs> us. Dr. Hester, how are you doing this week, love? I'm doing fantastic, Brother Ray. How are you? You looking rested and good and all chocolatey and glistening. That's good. You know, I, I mean, you know, like it. let me tell you something. I've been better, but... What I will say is this, I'm blessed because I have health benefits and mm. I have the opportunity to be able to go to these doctors and tell them what's wrong with me uh, in order to get a good diagnosis so that I can come back and be better uh, for the people that I work for and the people that I work with, right? Uh, we and talk the people so that much care about, about you. Yeah, we talk so much about self-care, but I'm pretty sure that there's not a lot of us that ex- that do it the right way, mm. Right. And and I think oftentimes, especially in our community, uh, we don't do it the right way because we have to work so hard because we have to prove so much to so many people. And I think that because we always have to show up in order to keep our jobs, I think that's a part of, of, of self-care that folks don't really talk about. Um, so glad to be able to share that story. Glad to be able to say that, hey, I went to the doctor and I went to my follow-up visit, you know, so I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of you too. That's good. You know, you know, in the black community, we we got our own ginger ale and, and tea with a cough drop and we can take care of ourselves. <laughs> and, and while some of that might be, you know, a self-care thing, you know, that is also about access. And a yes. lot of folks having negative experiences, being told one thing, feeling like they don't understand the process around billing and who's supposed to do what and You know, so I'm glad that you had a good experience and I hope that we can get to a place where people can take advantage of the resources that we're supposed to and hold folks accountable. I mean, I think about insurance that I have that I rarely use. Like they they don't say, oh, she doesn't come. Let me not take it out of her check. Oh, right out of the check. So I think we just need to have a commitment to do a better job of holding these systems and structures accountable, especially if it needs to look good and feel good, you know? Of course, of course, of course. But I mean, but so speaking about access, though, you know, it, I, you you had posted a, you had posted a meme, uh, and it was talking about uh, I think it was talking about like mental health, mm. and I think in the meme it was talking about like mental health. These are the things that people see, right? Like mental uh, mental health awareness month or whatever. But then you were talking, it was talking about the underlying things that people don't see, like the homelessness, the food scarcity. And things of that nature. So you want to talk a little bit about things that people don't see so that we can bring awareness to this? Yeah. So I think that came out of, you know, a lot of tragic news that's been happening in the last couple of weeks about folks who have taken their own lives. And and while we don't know the, the history, we don't know the stories and, you know, what actually happened is always this assumption like, oh, well, they they were beautiful. So like, why were they why would they do something like this? So they had a good job or that doesn't make sense. They had a famous parent, like they were connected. Like why would somebody, and and part of it has to do with this like narrow way we've created what depression and folks who are experiencing suicide must, must, you know, want to, to look like, and we can't imagine them looking like people who look like us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it talked about, it isn't about like one bad day. It isn't depression. It is uh, the compounding of a lot of different things. It's, food insecurity, it's home insecurity, it's not having access to healthcare, it's feeling of hopelessness. It's not like I'm having a bad day or this is a bad moment. Like it is, a, it's, it's a, it's an intersection of all of these other things that we need and that we take for granted. And we assume that when folks are struggling with things that they're struggling one kind of way, 
And if they present one way in other spaces, they must not be struggling. And so, you know, I commend so many people who I know who are um, taking ownership of, of their needs, of their self-care, whether that is limiting screen time or going to see a doctor or mm -hmm. being unapologetic about things that they need, making better choices, mm -hmm. um, because we have to, to, to just do a better job of taking care of ourselves and, and taking care of each other. You know, we have to, to be present and, and aware and listening. And sometimes we're all busy. We're on the phone. We're tweeting. We're working. We're trying to scratch off all these goals. But sometimes it's important to just be present and to be with someone in community, which is why I'm always so happy on Tuesdays. You know, Wednesdays used to be my favorite day of the week because Wednesdays feels like there's still a lot of week left. Like if you had a slow start to the Monday, you yeah, still yeah. have a lot done. But now yeah. it feels like Tuesday is becoming my favorite day of the week. And because I get to be in community review and Doc and all the other people who, you know, who who talk and who ask me questions and make me think differently about things. And so I'm just glad to be here. Feeling good. Appreciate like you, sis. Say. I see you repping the real HU today. Because we've got some problems at historically black colleges and universities and people want to play around on these campuses. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, segue, you know, stuff. today is uh, the start of Black History Month. And, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of things happening. You see, you see how we outline this, you know, black power type of thing we're going into this month with or whatever. But people and folks like me and you, we, we this is nothing new to us because we we uh, we live our lives this way. So it's black history 365 for people like us. And it's, you know, the, the other people that, uh, you know, are late to the party that only celebrate during February. Hell, I said I celebrate every day. Right? right. Every day that I'm breathing, I'm like, man, I'm black and I'm proud on my James Brown. But let's talk a little bit about what's happening at these HBCUs. Uh, you know, I, I know Doc had put something in the uh, in the chat earlier today about these uh, these these bomb bomb uh, bomb scares or whatever these bomb threats that have started to occur uh, post uh, January sixth, post the, the insurrection. Yeah. So what I saw today was just a list of colleges just across the eastern. Um, coast around just people calling in at random times, making threats. And thankfully, they've been taken seriously by the police and they've been investigating and they haven't found any reasonable or credible threats. But it still is a disruption, right? You have young people who are who who are multi who are multitasking with jobs and work. We have young people who are trying to get back and forth. Many young people don't necessarily live in the city in which they are going to school. And so you have families and loved ones in other parts of the country getting calls and being worried about their young people who they are supposed to send off to school to be safe. And so the fact that we have folks who are, and again, nothing has happened, but just the thought that, that their actions could be um, disruptive to, to school and college, which is already difficult enough. You have professors who are on campus who come from all over the country. You have staff members, custodians, cafeteria workers, all kinds of people. And when you pose a threat to them, especially if you're in an area like D.C., where so much often happens and, and is unpredictable, it can be nerve wracking. And young people don't need to deal with that. They need to be focusing on their coursework and focusing on the things that they need to do there and not worried about some I was going to say wacko, some person calling in a threat to just be disruptive and for it to be on Black History on February 1st, you know, it just, I don't like it. So I figured I would represent my my real HU today. Got my shirt out, Hampton, my home by the sea, um, mm. QT3. So proud to have been at HBCU and just shout out to all those young people 
and all the staff members and all the facility folks who are helping to navigate this crazy time and still putting first things first to get the education. Good job. Yeah, well, I appreciate you, right? And, and so a, a lot of folks, you know, don't really have that HBCU experience. I remember uh, going into my master's program at the Morgan State University and um, because I wanted that experience. I wanted to be able to learn uh, uh, among my people, right? And so uh, one of the things that I wanted to do when I was like, man, I'm getting a master's degree, I definitely want to be at an HBCU. I didn't know which one. But, you know, God led me to, to, to Morgan State. And I had the time of my life learning mm -hmm. from uh, Black professors, uh, learning how to teach, learning how to hone my craft in terms of being in the classroom and being supported by Black professors that had uh, done the work uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in our type neighborhoods, taught in our type schools with majority Black students. And so it was, it was quite the time. My experience <laughs> being at, at an HBCU. Uh, shout out to my fraternity brothers from the uh, Pi chapter. Pi chapter brothers. They took good care of me while I was down there. Also, shout out to the IE brothers, Towson University. Um, yeah, they they took real good care of me when I was there for years, years. We fellowship, right? So it was a really good time. Um. So ah man. Um. What so Black History Month? Like, how are you approaching it? What kind of things are sticking out to you? Uh, today's show is Black History, you know. So, because we wanted to highlight <laughs> you, you know, you gonna bring it. No, um, no. Mm -mm. What's, what's what's your thoughts in terms of like just how how folks should be teaching Black History? Yeah, so I I will say, and I don't know if it's maybe because folks are just um more connected and and sharing more globally, or maybe it just so happens that I'm following the right people now. But I've seen so many free opportunities, opportunities for logging in to workshops or Saturday campus activities around, you know, books to read, recommendations of things that you can do, activities, ways to talk to your kids about things. And it, it makes me wonder if there's this like connection between all of this hubbub around like critical race theory and like what that means. I've seen so many things around like teaching black history in school and how black history is U.S. history and just acknowledging all of these great stories. And it just has come a long way. Right. You know, as a, a teacher in elementary school, typically February was like one person a day and you it's Rosa Parks and it's Garrett A. Morgan and what he invented. And it's just been able to take off now in, in such a good way. And so I when I see little things, I'll send them to my friends and say, hey, here's a way you can share this with your kids or here's something that you can think about. But, you know, the reality is we're making black history every day. You know, the fact that we woke up, <laughs> that we're here, that we're thriving, that you're hosting this podcast. No, that's real. Like, you know, that if it, if the things could be very, very differently. When I think about black history and black excellence, all I have to do is look right in front of me, right? We got Dr. Simmons, that's black excellence. We got Brother Ray. We got just black, beautiful, innovative, smart, resilient, creative, loyal things happening in our communities all the time. And so I'm excited that we don't have to be in a place where we have to go and rely on a textbook that was, that is out of date to tell us about our history, that we can look to our communities, look within our homes, look across all spectrums, right? You can look at the, at the Super Bowl, you can look at referees, you can look at coaches and players and, and athletes and, and everywhere, everywhere you look, every corner you pass, there's something amazing happening around Black history, either recognizing the past, thinking about the future, or expressing what's happening right now. So I'm excited. I'm grateful. Yeah, that's dope. Doc, welcome, sir. 
It's good to be here. Thank y'all for letting me in the room a little late. I see uh, Dr. Harrison has on her Howard University shirt. I'm I mean, sorry, Harvard University you? shirt. That's not right. I mean, with <laughs> child That's, Black schools. That's not right. She, she might uh, kick me off the uh, off the crew. Yeah, uh, I'm glad uh, glad to be here. You know, I, I got my Lions uh, beanie on and a hat. Shout out to uh, Matt Stafford. So I'm uh, honoring Matt Stafford as a loyal Detroit Lion that he's now. Well, Black History Day. Are we talking about Black History Month? Jesus Christ! Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh! My, well. Okay. Hey, we put you in a we put you in a Fortune 500 company, and look at how you show up. First of all, first of all, man, it's been a long day. It's been a long day. All right, so I'm a little up. Get I'm getting my my feet under me uh, uh, right now. Uh, second of all, black excellence. I get to see it every day when I uh, when I think about my two boys, right, and uh, the beauty of uh, of them as a black boy dad and uh, just, you know, just their brilliance. And um, uh, our 11 our year old bought me ice cream today. Cause he said that you deserve some ice cream. So I'm gonna hook you up. And I was like, where do you get some money from? He's like, Oh, you, you give me the change. I stack my paper. I was like, Oh, all right. So yeah, so I, I'm, I'm grateful um, for them. And, uh, you know, I, I'll wait till later, but I am piping mad about this whole NFL head coaching thing. So, 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 sir, sir, you don't have to wait until later. She just set you up very nicely if you were listening, right? She said black coaches, NFL, right? She gave you a, 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 a RPO. <laughs> well, I, I fumbled clearly. Yeah, um, you did. So we ate, but, you know, as a Detroit Lion fan, you know, we fumble all the time. <laughs> um, I mean, I ain't gonna lie. When uh, my fantasy basketball crew, shout out to them on WhatsApp, somebody posted a link to this whole thing with Brian Flores. I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't heard anything about it, and I was less annoyed with <clears throat> that situation, but more annoyed with and and I'll, I'll admit, like I'm not the biggest Stephen A. Smith fan not because of his hot takes, but because he just gets too, the brother gonna have a brain aneurysm one day. Like, I'm just like, dog, like, <laughs> you gotta relax, bro. But like, Stephen A. Smith had one of the best takes, even pre-Brian Flores, about the hiring of white coaches who don't call plays and they get a free pass, but Eric Bieniemy has been to four NFC Championship games. He's coached at MVP. He's won a Super Bowl, hmm. and like he can't get any airtime. Jim Caldwell was the successful coach of the Detroit Lions. They made the playoffs. They were nine and seven, I think, for two years in a row, which is you know, which is amazing for the Lions. We was geek. They fired him. Brought in Matt Patricia from the Bill Belichick tree from all accounts, like a great coach. But y'all fired somebody who was nine and seven. I don't, I don't understand. And, and like, but yet they'll keep the white head coaches who are terrible for longer and things like that. So <laughs> as someone who played football in college and, um, 
my my black coach, other than in, in the police athletic league, was uh, Coach Griff. And 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 I always say to folks that part of the reason why I stuck with football as opposed to being like, I want to do this no more. Like I'd rather just be a student. Um, is because of Coach Griff. And Coach Griff was like, not for the sport of football, but the lessons that football taught me about sticking with it, the grind of it all. Um, and so shout out to Coach Griff as the only black coach I ever had um, mm-hmm. from high school all the way through uh, college. So I was extremely frustrated today when I saw the Brian Flores and I saw Stephen A. Smith's um, hot take on the hiring of this coach in um, – I think it's in Denver where they hired this guy where he has no head coaching experience. He didn't even call the plays in green Bay. So the people who critique Eric B and say, he doesn't call the plays and Andy Reid has come out and said, Eric B absolutely calls the plays. And again, as is the case with the head coach that a good head coach right now, granted there are some that still call the plays, but most head coaches, you're like the CEO. Right. Even if you were a great principal, Mm -hmm. your involvement with running the day to day of the school is minimal. Right. AP AP runs the school. Correct. Like whoever's running the school the day to day, if you're the CEO, you have a different focus, even if you were a great principal. Mm -hmm. And, And what I find is fascinating is that. People are dismissive of Eric Bieniemy because they say that Andy Reid calls the plays, but Andy Reid is like, I mean, I'm just like the CEO. Like I have input, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you have to trust your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator or mm-hmm. else your team doesn't work. And um, I, I was really frustrated with that today because mm-hmm. um it, it just makes me realize even more. Uh, yeah, I think I was just angry black man all day because okay. I woke up mad about the general silence of people around the threats to bomb HBCUs, which brought back memories of Birmingham churches where people recognize that we will violently oppress your access to the voting booth. We will violently oppress your access to education. And then once you get into the workplace, we will violently both physically and mentally oppress you so that you don't want to be in this workplace. Mm. Right. Mm. (laughs) And so for me, I woke up just on 10 and frustrated and angry because I'm just like, so where's the outrage? Like they spent more time talking about Russia and Ukraine. And I'm not suggesting that's not a news story. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is that in a space where education can be a tool to empower communities, education can be a tool to not only empower the community, but to allow that community to inform the rest of the world about the justice conditions that might be missing. I didn't see more than five to seven minutes of coverage on major news stations about this. 
-hmm. And I take it personally because I have so many friends that went to HBCUs. Um, I'm working on a project with Sean Joseph, who's a professor at, at, at Howard. Um, my, my parents went to Spelman and Morehouse. And heaven forbid somebody have a bomb threat at Princeton and Harvard. Come on now. Like you would have had, uh, you know, you would have had like, they would have had a concert to raise funds <laughs> for the trauma of Harvard and Princeton students because of these. Uh, sir, sir, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. As, as an Ivy League grad, I will not let you take shots at the Ivies. I'm uh, an Ivy League grad too. But the yeah. point is, so you should you should be standing up for Ivy's and not letting them take shots. And I went to West Michigan University yeah. Public School. Hey, you're not gonna be bringing you're not gonna be bringing that state school energy up in here talking about the Ivy's, sir. Man, we used to <laughs> we used to go to Ann Arbor and the Ivy's of University of Michigan, and we ain't no Ivy's at the now. University of Michigan. They like to think that, but ain't no Ivy's at the Wow, that's like that's that's just shady. All together, <laughs> that's like the Hampton Howard. Uh, uh, they are not Ivy, sir. They are HBCU they, Ivy. Uh, they, they could be. Uh, I don't think so. Whoa. But we're okay. not. This is not what this show is about. I don't want to show up with anti-black today. All right. So, but so I, I got a quick question, right? So, so uh, interesting segue for us. Uh, we had two NYCD NYPD officers that were. That were shot dead due to senseless gun violence, um, and so I, I want to be on record as saying that I support the police. I don't think that anybody should be killed in the line of work, and I also think that um, we bastardize the police because of the few that behave wrongly, right? And then we make that a writ large thing, like all cops are bad when they are not. Um, but but interesting enough. There's a uh, a movement uh, out on Long Island. I don't know if it's if, if it's anywhere else, but uh, in some schools on Long Island and some schools in the city, to where tomorrow uh, they're suggesting that staff members and students wear blue in order to uh, honor the death of 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 these uh, of these officers. And so, I guess my take is 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 pretty simple, and I want to hear you guys' take as well. Is that this is not what we do during Black History Month, right? Because like we also have to be sensitive to um, the folks that have been racialized and folks that have been gunned down by, by, by these officers that I spoke of early, even though they're in the minority of police officers writ large. We got to be sensitive to things like that. And so just wanted to get y'all's thoughts on, on, on what, what y'all think in terms of like, you know, the whole wear blue thing, um, which I generally support, but it's Black History Month. So what are y'all's thoughts? Hmm. I hadn't heard about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I hadn't I hadn't heard about that. Um I think if I put myself in a school leader's shoes and tomorrow and I was leading a school um and they were like tomorrow we're gonna wear blue, I don't think I would be that upset about it. It makes me think about like when we wear orange in October for like bullying prevention month and or week, or, you know, I think that's okay. I think what troubles me about the whole thing is I think we got to do better. I, I wonder what we have to do to improve engagement specifically with domestic violence incidences. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a good friend, Nisha, 
her dad is an officer. And sometimes I use my respect for him mm-hmm. um, and knowing him as a way to help me like debunk what I think when I be like, yeah, all the police. Like I'm like, wait, that's Nisha's father too. They're not all this particular way. Mm-hmm. But one of the things he told us is that, you know, domestic violence things are, are some of the most dangerous and volatile situations Absolutely. that, that yep. people yeah. can be in. Yep. Um, and I just wonder, you know, what, what the data says about, about that and, and what kind of supports we need. Like, how do we need to reinvent those specific responses? Because you don't want to not act, right? Because we know that violence against women and young children and like, we can't just let people just continue to hammer on folks. But mm-hmm. there is something, there has to be a better strategy. And so I think to answer your question, if my kids wanted to wear blue tomorrow, I'd be like, that's fine. They're going to wear red on the 14th and say it's for Valentine's Day, even though it's Black History Month, too. I think if they felt empowered to do that, then I would be OK with it. But I worry just about just domestic violence and how how um, explosive those things can be for all parties involved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm with uh, I'm with Heather on that. I mean, I think that. Um, you know, uh, just based on your analysis, I, I don't know that I would have an issue with it. Um, and I think that, you know, I have a friend, good friend, who's uh, a police officer in Detroit and has been, right? And um, <clears throat> I'm always reminded of the moments where the police were actually helpful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That always brings me back to the, a moment in particular where my grandmother was assaulted because someone snatched her purse. And there was this cop who, I don't know, I must, I mean, I mean, I was a, a kid, I must have been 10. And he chased this dude down like he was a Iron Man. And um, my grandmother had just, the guy, apparently the guy saw her cash her lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. And she had her brand in her pocket, like her, you know, she had her cash in her pocket. It was a couple G's. And, you know, my grandmother, you know, God bless her. She, she wanted her, she wanted her money because she used her money to help the community. Like she would literally go buy food and share it with the community. And I'll never forget it because the brother chased the cat down, got our money back and things like that. But I also balance that with what you see on television as only being a reflection of some police officers, mm-hmm. not all police officers. Right. And I think that's where uh, I struggle sometimes because it's like, yeah, some police officers, but disproportionately the sum mm-hmm. is brutalizing black, brown and indigenous people. Mm-hmm. So, like, it still makes me nervous when police pull up behind me. Oh, it makes me nervous too. Like, real oh, nervous, yeah. right? Like, I, I literally like tense mm-hmm. up, and yeah. I, I just don't. It's like I'm afraid, right? Yeah, and, you should be. And and I think, but at the same time, you know. I try to teach my kids, like, I don't want to tell my kids, well, you in trouble, don't call the police. Right. You know, and it's like this conundrum. Mm -hmm. So if I was a school leader, (coughs) 
you know. Um, right, but, but so so I, I think I, I think I might have painted the context wrong, right? And so El Michelle asked a good question in in the comments. Said depends on the motivation. It's tomorrow the funeral. The funerals have already occurred, um, mm. and the school district. So in Suffolk County, the majority of the school districts in Suffolk County are majority white. Um. Also, uh, I guess to add to that element as well, mm-hmm. um, it's probably one of the highest Trump supporting uh, districts oh. in the United States, even probably higher than in some instances it being in the Deep South. And so, I guess my worry in in districts that are majority black. But that are pandering to this whole Trumpism piece. That's where my worry and concern comes in. And so I, I, I want to say two things can be true. Two things can be true. You can support uh, the police officers. You can wear blue, and you can also support black because there's a lot of black police officers or whatever. So like, there's a way to kind of interweave yeah. it and 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 kind of create some nuance around just focusing. Focusing on Black History Month or whatever, but like, why do we? Why do we always have to give up? Give up? We only got twenty eight days. Sometimes twenty nine. Shit. I mean, what? <laughs> now we got to give up a day, and we got yeah. Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> Move Valentine's Day to March. No, March is Women's History Month. Move it to April then. It's always. If it's Women's History Month, isn't that only an enhancement of Women's History Month? If it's Uh-oh. Valentine's Day? Uh-oh. What March? happened? Which is is it an enhancement of, of, of March? If, if, if it's in March? No. No, it's all what? in March. What do you mean? I'm saying if we, if we move Valentine's Day to March. No. Wouldn't that be an enhancement? I feel like you. I feel no. like if you, if you, so if you, I, I got. So I'm gonna make the argument of making Valentine's Day on March 31st. It would be an excellent culmination to uh, Women's History Month, and y'all getting gifts because Valentine's Day is not just about giving women gifts. And I'm, I'm confident that all of your women will have amazing gifts. All of wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. My, Not my, all. My, no, no, not all. Like there's multiple. My, I, my, I. <laughs> not all like that. That the women important in your life, y'all ain't <laughs> all of the women, your daughters, your yeah, yeah, yeah. partners, your mothers, oh, okay. your sisters, appreciate your you, female APs, <laughs> all of them will feel loved and appreciated and seen and valued on the 14th. And if not, you wrong because you had the third, you've got 13 days in front of you to get it together. Ma'am, so I don't subscribe. Ma'am, I do not subscribe to these these holidays that 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 were uh, that these that are not in the Bible. holidays. That are not in the Bible. That ain't in the Bible. Valentine's Day ain't in the Bible. Somebody that made that up. Ray, you should just move on. I don't think you're gonna win this one, brother. I don't really, but I, I, but 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 that, that brings me to this. I'm a really thoughtful gift giver, right? And so I feel like you have to know the people that are around you. You have to know. You have to be in tune in terms of like what they're talking about or whatever, right? Perfect example. I had a Walmart box on my on my porch yesterday, right? And my daughter, she knew it was hers. She knew, right? And so she uh, ca- casually walking up the stairs, Daddy, you know you got a Walmart box on the porch, right? I'm like, girl, leave me alone. I know that box is there, right? Walking into the kitchen. Well, Daddy, did you check outside? You know that Walmart box is there, right? Like twice, twice, like, right? And so I go 
And as I'm walking up the stairs, I try to sneak out on the porch to get the Walmart box. Right? She hears the door, but she knows. <laughs> <laughs> then she 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 walks upstairs, whatever. And I'm just like, here, here, take it. Go ahead, go, go, go play. <laughs> but she was super excited because she had earned. She had, so so her um. So we earn things around here, right? And so uh, we're, we're teaching her how to hear no and accept it because little kids her age uh, don't really understand what no means. And so uh, she's like, well, I don't want to hear no. So how can I earn things, right? So then that, that catapulted it to oh, how okay. can I earn things, right? And so we're like, hey, you, you can earn things uh, based off of your grades. And so um, I will say this. Um, I've been a proponent for uh, in-person learning, right? Because I've seen in my own house how it has been detrimental to the learning of, of our students, right? right. Uh, and so when she tested in the fall, uh, iReady uh, was, was a diagnostic or whatever. She had tested really weak in math, always strong in ELA because she walks around, reads, and does all the things she does. But she didn't really have that practice piece in order to uh, work on her work on the fundamentals of math and the things that she needed to build on uh, her, her ability to compute as a third grader, right? And so her scores came in way under, right? Uh, maybe first grade level, uh, second grade level, whatever. And so I'm sitting, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, damn, did I do the right thing? We skipped this girl. What's going on? So on the latest iteration of, of the iReady test of winter 2021 that she took a couple of days ago, she came in sky high, mid third grade level, whatever, because she's been working hard, right? So she's seeing uh, people at her table that are getting uh, uh, early fourth grade work or whatever. And so she's sitting and she's saying to herself, well, why does my work look different? I want my work to look like that. <laughs> it's time to get after it, right? And so, so she's intrinsically motivated in order to be the best. So I don't really worry about her. She's she's on point, and so yeah, I went and got some gifts of some things that I can't pronounce. <laughs> so yeah, pass that for Seichi. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we're showing up for our kids, man. So I had to highlight her because I know you talked about the boys earlier, uh, Doc. So I had to make sure that you know, girl, dad is is in the building. Yeah, I respect that. Mm -hmm. I mean. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Did y'all get any gifts for Black History Month? Because I got a gift. Gifts? Got yeah. a new journal. Look at that. Oh, that's very nice. What? Wait, I got on my, uh, my, my shirt. My shirt, what it say? Uh, show up. Show up. Wait, Black man shirt. I think Wait. it might be Target, but it's okay. I'm oh. almost 50 years old. I ain't never got gifts for no for Black History and, Month. And then my, my water bottle, unapologetic oh, nice. black water bottle. Boy, we, hey, we, we 365 in here, boy. Wait, like wait, well, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. We're supposed to get gifts for Black Black History Month? I don't know, but hey, it's, it's thoughtfulness happening around this house. So <laughs> I love that. I ain't complaining, man. We setting trends, man. So next year when we when we when we log on, I hope you get gifts because you know it's, it's not like I ain't set the precedent for you. Oh, you ain't lied. Like I ain't, I ain't, yeah, now I'm just like, oh, all right. I need to. Uh, Okay. Put that on some people's radar. <laughs> <laughs> hey, El Michelle in the comments. Uh we don't have our, we don't have our um we don't have our objectives today. I wasn't in charge and you know, we co-teaching the class and uh <laughs> I don't want to throw my co-teacher under the bus or nothing like that, but you know. <laughs> El Michelle, we'll get back to you in the next class on that. <laughs> well, we're almost there. 
We uh, had yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get there. Um, what so man, ah. So what you want to see for so I wanted to jump in, but you 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 painted the picture so eloquently about Stephen A. Smith, even though I emphatically disagree. I think he's obnoxious as hell, and I would rather not see him on television. Um, I think that he's like super loud and plays into the stereotype of just like the loud black person or whatever, right? And that's dangerous. Um, I also don't like his takes because I think that a lot of his takes are anti-black, uh, especially in terms of af- being af- being an athlete, right? I don't like athletes. I don't like uh, announcers that were never athletes, right? So like, he was an athlete. I got no, it. no, no, no. I'm talking about like pro athlete. Okay, right? fair he, enough. He played. He played two guard for two seconds a game at Johnson C. Smith. <laughs> Relax. He wasn't an athlete. Winston Salem State, wherever it was, I kind of looped them together, you know. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and, and so them and Skip Bayless, they fall into the same category for me because it's like, yo, y'all ain't never played. Play, y'all ain't what? Like, get out of here. Because wait, 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 wait. So. So you're telling me mm-hmm. that in order to be a legitimate sports commentator, you have to have played the sport. I feel like the people that have played the sport can better relate to uh, the, the athletes in a sense that they know what they're going through, even though you don't see that when Charles Barkley is announcing, right? Like he, I don't think he has any level of empathy. I like, I like the, the, the sports announcers that have, that can be empathetic in terms of like going seeing an athlete's plight in terms of like what they're going through. Right. And not just looking at it in terms of just like performance, performance, performance on the field, but also taking into consideration like the preparation piece and like what it takes in order to be that level of an athlete. Interesting. Is that your same like theory of action for a school leader? So you got to be. 100%. Okay. 100%. So, so it, it, you have, you have these rare instances in which you'll have a, a, a person that comes in and that's a school leader and has only been in the classroom for two years or whatever, right? Based off of whatever pathways they take into school leadership. But I guess a knock against that is that how can you tell me how to be a better teacher if you haven't really taught yourself, if you haven't really mastered teaching yourself? Bless you. And so I, I guess when you get folks that come in from like corporate and they become these school leaders, because you know, there was that whole police to police to the principalship piece. And there were, there was also like a, a soldier uh, to the principalship piece or whatever. Mm-hmm. I can see how building a team that surrounds you could, could make, could make you, could make your school run efficiently. Right. So like if you, if you're able to see like your blinders, right? So for example, you know that you're not, uh, you, you know that you are not a good uh, uh, teacher observer. You know that, you know, there's some things that you are good at or whatever. And you focus on the thing that you're good at, but then you hire for your blind spots. You hire those people to come in and like coach teachers, do formal observations, things that you can't do. Hmm. I think that could work. But then at the end of the day, folks are still going to come to you as you being the building leader and there's still going to be some kind of deficit thinking around your leadership. Hmm. That's interesting because I guess I was just thinking if it's the same kind of argument, then like, so somebody who hasn't played sports, 
but mm -hmm. then has a panel of three other people who were in the seat. That's why they often give other positions. You know, you used to play, mm -hmm. you used to coach, and now we mm -hmm. have a wide variety. So we mm -hmm. got Teddy, mm -hmm. we got Bradshaw and Strahan and the coach, mm -hmm. and everybody's mm -hmm. given a different perspective mm -hmm. in order to create a good, robust, rich conversation about the thing. But I think your point is we do have a lot of folks who are critical of things that they have no proximity to. Mm -hmm. um, and But the thing is, yeah, my bad. Go ahead, Doc. No, that was it. I mean, I think the thing is, um, and Ray, I appreciate you saying that because one of the things uh, that caught me last week as I listened to podcasts was I listened to, I mean, I love Up uh, up, up With Smoke. What is it called? Up? The, 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 the show, the podcast with um, with all the smoke, all the smoke with mm -hmm. uh, Matt Barnes and um, Stephen Jackson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they had one of my favorite Detroiters on the show who always represents is Jalen Rose. And uh, Jalen Rose, uh, I never knew this. He had a contract while he was playing to do like some I don't know, media, sports media stuff. And it's nice to see another Michigander, Jay, uh, Draymond Green has the same setup now with I think TNT or ESPN, one of the, one of the networks. And right to your point, Jalen Rose said, you know, one of the reasons why he wanted to cover things other than basketball was because he had interest other than basketball. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, why is it that sports commentators who ain't never played any of the sports have the freedom to talk about any sport? But if you play basketball, all people want you to do is talk about basketball. Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> and what I, what I have found from listening to Jalen and Jacoby is that Jalen Rose has one of the most uh, insightful takes on sports and society and does it in a way where I can hear him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I disagree with you about Stephen A. Smith always being that way. I think 98% of the time, you're correct. Mm -hmm. However, this, it must have been this afternoon. It was on YouTube when I caught the clip. He was calm. He was thoughtful. Mm. In his analysis of the new coach of uh, of Green Bay, mm. right, and this was pre Brian Flores, new coach of, new coach of Denver from, from I mean of Denver from Green Bay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. and it was pre this like lawsuit filed by uh, Brian Flores, mm. um, and, and I found it to be helpful, but right, I would also make the same argument, and I won't name names, right. I'm on that names. But <laughs> but what I find interesting is that similar to you and Doc's point about um, educators, I also find it fascinating that I can play the I can use the same logic model and thought process mm -hmm. as I think about the number of people who will profess to know about black girls not realizing the guru on black girls is Dr. Heather Harrison. Why? Because she she's existed in this world as a black girl, a black young woman, and a woman. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And she's done the research. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm 
And I think there is Ed and Ivy. Ed and Ivy during the pandemic. During the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Right. And leading work in support of girls. Um, Theory and practice. Correct. Mm-hmm. But yet, I find it amusing at times when people who aren't experts in their field all of a sudden are viewed as experts, right? And again, I'm not going to name names because I'm not trying to help them sell no books. Mm. I just think that as, as Black folks in particular, we have to be careful with who we deem as an expert on us, mm. an expert about our experiences, mm-hmm. and the ways in which we elevate so-called experts. And I think with Stephen A. Smith, people have ele- elevated him to being an expert on things other than sports sometimes mm-hmm. that I just find interesting. Whereas with Jalen Rose, he brings in, he and Jalen and Jacoby bring in other people who are experts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I say all that because I think that it's, it's not just in sports where we see this, but I, I think it's throughout society in various spaces And, you know, I'll say it and, you know, folks can quote me on it, right? (laughs) Because I used to say in higher ed, when I had my fancy tenured job as the second black man to ever be tenured and promoted at Loyola University, Maryland, I used to say it from my soul. When it comes to working at a teaching institution, just because you have a PhD from wherever, it doesn't mean you can teach. But it mean it means you paid a whole lot of extra money, as my homie David Stovall at UIC would say, to write a really long paper. And you probably are good at doing research. Right? But, but that's it, not always a given. That's not always a given. Maybe. That's not that's why I said probably, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I think that what, what's important to remember is that the same standard that we have as we think about a variety of things in our lives. I think we need to have that same standard and apply it in ways that allows us to see the, see the world clearly, but mm-hmm. also realize that two things can be true at the same time. It is true that Jalen Rose knows professional and college and high school basketball because he played it. Mm-hmm. But it is also true that he understands the spirit and the soul of professional athletes because mm-hmm. he was a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. And he understands the business of sports and things like that. And so I just I just want to make sure that that is clear that I think people can work in different lanes, but you also have to know when to put somebody else on the elevator with you mm-hmm. to acknowledge those who are experts. Because, again, I wouldn't call myself an expert on black girls. I just wouldn't. Right. Have I written about black girls? Sure. Have I written a long dissertation. Do I lead work in that space Space like a uh, doc? No, I don't, right? So I'm going to get on the elevator with her. Do I know a lot about running schools? Eh, a little bit. I'm getting on the elevator with Ray Ankrum if I got to go have a conversation about That's running right. schools because I only know a quarter of it based on my research and my experience, right? Split probably 12.5% on either side, right? And I think we have to have the courage to admit what we don't know as Black people. 
And so, I Stephen Smith, Stephen A. Smith never acknowledges what he doesn't know. Right. Um, they want they want him they, they want him to be a sports doctor Fauci. They want him to go in and have this this yeah. this, this analysis and critique about what should yeah. happen in New York based off of COVID numbers and Kyrie. Like he has a, a weird obsession with Kyrie Irving <laughs> that bothers me. Yeah. Right. Leave Kyrie alone. Kyrie don't hey listen, I'm I'm I, I I know what the vaccine what, what the vaccine means for, for me. I know what it means for my family, but I'm not trying to shove it down other people's throats if they don't want to do that. And so, therefore, you're not going to see every episode with me saying people are this or people are that because they're not vaccinated or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You have a choice to make. If you don't see that uh, one million people dying and the majority mm-hmm. of those folks that, that, that are dying were, were, were non-vaccinated, then if that data does not wake you up to make you want to make a decision uh, uh, in, in order to be vaccinated, then there's nothing that I'm going to say every day on a daily broadcast that's going to motivate you to want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll leave it there, man. But I think that... Um, th- oh, you forgot about Brad Doherty, man. What did Brad Doherty do today? No, 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 no. He didn't do anything today, but you're talking about just like the du- dualities of, of, of folks that oh, have yeah. played one sport that are able to uh to to to, to show up in yeah. other sports. He does like the the the, the, the right. car racing, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, and he's very I, good at it. That's right. But but I think that there there's like this level of versatility, but also upskilling our knowledge mm. and, and admitting what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh Dr. Harrison and I talked about uh, quite a bit about both of our experiences when we left K-12 and in my case, when I left higher ed um, of running a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Right. And that there's a certain skill set you need to have around fundraising, mm-hmm. right. Around donor relations, mm-hmm. around operational things that are different than being a school leader mm-hmm. or in my case, the CEO of a network of charters. Like it's just very, different right and mm-hmm. i think that um i always encourage folks in my network to go get the extra skills you need to perfect your craft mm-hmm. right you should be like kobe bryant when you are in a leadership role right and i always respected the fact that kobe was mm-hmm. always perfecting his craft mm-hmm. right like he was like fanatical about understanding the game and things like that. So uh, shout out to all those people upskilling. He shot uh, RIP uh, to, to the girl dad, uh, Kobe Bryant. But oh, um, man. he shot too much. Uh, Doc, Dr. Harrison, uh, I want, want to bring bring you in here for a second because we're talking about uh, nonprofits and we're talking about uh, raising funds, which is definitely not a skill that I have, nor is it a skill that I want to have, right? But like, how how does a how does a, a black woman um show up to philanthropy mm. and make that ask right given uh the, the the problem the problems that exist in philanthropy in terms of how they fund why they fund and who they fund yeah so i think you know i think a black woman should show up in philanthropy just like anybody else and they should be able to identify the mission and the purpose and the vision of the organization that they are a part of and figure out how that connects with the values and the mission and the gifts of other places. I think 
the issue isn't about showing up. The issue is about the access, right? And so like where a lot of people who are in philanthropy give to the same organizations over and over and over again. A lot of those are based on relationships and who they know, similar to the conversation about coaching. So if we have a lot of, we have a gap in black coaches because we have a gap in black ownership. We have a gap in mm. black general managers. And so if mm. if we have a bunch of, of nonprofits that are focused on black women or girls or any particular group, if those people aren't showing up in the leadership places where the checks are being written, where the decisions about the budget are being made, if they're not sitting on boards, they're not chairing those committees, then it makes those conversations even harder. I mean, I think one thing that is is good for me is I think it it is exactly what Doc said. There is the intersection of both research and practice. And so I can go to talk about hard work and I can back it up with data and we can talk about what's happening in real time and we can use all of that and wrap that in a message with something that people care about, right? Mm. Um, so for me, I think that that's just like the pitch, but I think we have to just do a better job of, of giving people an opportunity and of being critical about, you know, if I say I care about this particular community, am I putting my money and my resources where those things are? And if not, then we got to be courageous and have the conversations, right? None of us are above critique. Um, and so we have to be be um, thoughtful about that and, and think about what that means if we want to see improvements in some particular sector, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think also we got to show up and be accountable. I mean, you know, Ray, you're the king of accountability. And so if somebody says, I'm giving you a check to, to provide services for this many young people, then we want to make sure that people are doing that, that they're not taking that to to, you know, there, there's an accountability marriage that also happens. And then there also is this yeah. collective celebration because at the end you get to know, I mean, people are writing off millions and hundreds of thousands of dollars all the time. And if we're just going to write off that kind of money, we might as well put it into the hands and into the spaces where it can do the most good. Because when, when black girls and women succeed, the world succeeds. So, mm. you know. That's, mm. that's so. I want to. I want to touch on two things before we leave. We got to get because we because we, we didn't give. El, we didn't tell turn our lesson plans into El Michelle. We got to hear her. Wait, can y'all hear me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, all right, yeah. So we ain't turn our lesson plans into the to the department chair. We got to uh, definitely make sure that we answer her question. So she asked. Uh, first question is: Does Stephen A. get the ratings? Yes, he does. He, he the 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 ESPN network network is is built around Stephen A. Smith. He's mm -hmm. the flagship of of the. Uh, I used to think it was Scott Van Pelt, but uh, Scott it, Van Pelt. Yeah, Scott. I like Scott Van Pelt. I like Scott Van Pelt. I never thought he was the star though. Uh, at night. Oh, at night. Yeah, but yeah. Do you think if That's Stuart A. Scott was still alive, that it would be Stephen A. Smith? Think if yes. Stuart Scott was still alive, you think it would still Absolutely. be Stephen A. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Because Stuart, 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 Stuart Scott didn't. Um, I, I never. I always felt like he was so clean, and he he, made, he, he connected Stephen. Uh, I mean Stuart Scott connected to 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 the people that you need to connect to in order to stay around for long. Oh, I agree with that. I just oh. don't think that the audience. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that. Mm -hmm. I would prefer for him to be the epicenter of ESPN. I'm not saying that. I do. Like, I, I was devastated when he passed away mm -hmm. because Stephen A. Smith brought me into ESPN for more than the highlights because literally I would turn it on, mute it just into the, the, game. the volume down and just look at the highlights. Yeah. And I'm like, let me see the highlights, the game that I'm really interested in. I'll turn the volume on 
and I'll just do do whatever work I needed to do. But I had it on the whole time <coughs> when um, uh, he would uh, do his thing. Um, but I, I, I would say Stephen A. Smith would still be because you got to remember who the, the real audience is at ESPN. Who's making yeah. the decisions at ESPN? It's not yeah. people who look like Stephen A. Smith. Right. No, it also makes you think about just the shift in culture and this whole like fighting, arguing, Jerry Springer, we're yelling across the table, two people don't agree, like phenomenon that we've crafted the way things are supposed to be on TV. Interesting. To be yeah, that's, so, that's, that's spot know. on. Yeah, no, nah, I'm not with it. It seems sandboyish. Um, so <laughs> that's not how I want to celebrate my black history energy. So, so a, a really important question, and then I'll close this out with a, with another question. Is uh is uh, she's telling the, the department chair is telling us that we need to talk about softening on school choice? Are we ready, or will black families get taken advantage of? And so I'm gonna loft this question to 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 Dr. Robert Simmons the third, only because I know he has a, a, a hot take on this based off of his uh, engagements in Detroit. And so, sir, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm a supporter of uh, school choice, number one. Like, so I want to be clear. Mm -hmm. um, I think the challenge with school choice is always transportation, right? Um, as in, in my experience. And I think that, you know, people have as much choice as you have resources to move. In mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Michigan, right, and and again, I think this goes to the charter school debate that I have with folks all the time, where they're like, "Oh, Simmons, like, you a fan of charter schools?" I'm like, "I'm a fan of good schools," and and the thing is that the rules are different everywhere. So I think it's like not always an apples to apples comparison of school choice in D.C. or school choice in New York or school choice wherever, because in Michigan. School choice doesn't mean that you can get a voucher necessarily. It means you can just go to another district if they have a seat. So mm -hmm. if you're in Detroit and you want to go to Southfield Public Schools, they got a seat. You can go to Southfield Public Schools. Or you can go to Oak Park. Or you can go to wherever you want to go. Um, so, I mean, I, I still believe in, in school choice. Um, I don't really know what it means to soften the position on school choice. So I'm not really clear. Um, because my position on school choice ain't never going to change because I think we should all have a right to choose where we send our, because again, like, why should my feeder pattern be my only option? Mm. Like, why? Like, you mean to tell me if, if, if I want my kid to have an excellent arts education and there's an arts school, elementary school, I'm just using this hypothetically, mm. across town, I shouldn't have the ability or they have a high end arts program. I shouldn't have the ability to choose to send them there. Like, mm -hmm. why not? Like, so I just, um, but I also think choice is a byproduct of a little privilege because you have to understand how the system works. You have to have transportation mm -hmm. because in Michigan, uh, Metro Detroit, I will say, I won't speak about the whole state, but um, you got to have the resources to get your kid to the school that you're choosing to go mm -hmm. to like you can't just use if they have bus transportation they're not picking you up and take you to the school because it's outside of the zone yeah dr dr h what's your thoughts yeah i would agree i think you know we just gotta i don't want us to be softening up on anything when it comes to schools right now i want us to to mm -hmm. be 
intentional, to be strategic, mm. to be thoughtful, and to be doubled and down. We can't have these conversations for a year and a half about all this loss and all this disruption and then you know, use it as an opportunity to not go hard for our kids and for our community. So, sure. you know, that's it. We, do, we, we can do better. That was something we always talked about. Like, we can do better, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doing that. Yeah. And I've never seen easing up on something, making it better. Yeah. <laughs> Real talk. I, so, I mean, it, it, it's interesting, um, you know, this, this, this argument about choice, I, I, I'm a firm believer parents are the experts of their kids and parents should be the sole determiners as to like where their kids go to school. We shouldn't be limiting access. We should be creating more access uh, for mm-hmm. good schools for kids. And so I don't, I, just like with anything else, uh, when you make something a monopoly, um, the quality of it can go down and you have no choices, right? But when you turn things from being a monopoly and you have choice, then it makes the whole system better because now you have folks from traditional district school, traditional public schools that are now saying, you know what, I have to up my game because now I have to compete with other entities that are fighting for the same kids. So it's like, what am I offering to students now on the product side, as opposed to the teacher union rhetoric about, uh, other school systems siphoning money from traditional public schools. It's like, what do you have to show me? Because at the end of the day, if if, if that charter school is performing at 20 percentage points higher uh, in levels of proficiency for Black students, then of course, Black students, Black parents are going to make the choice to send their kids to the school that, that that's going to give them the best options for their kids. And I think that that's how it should be. And so Leaving us with this, right? So uh, in 19, I don't know if it was 80 or 84, uh, President Reagan uh, uh, came out and he had said, oh, as a matter of fact, no, he was candidate Reagan at the time. So I think it must have been 80. But he came out and said that if there was a Supreme Court opening, uh, he was going to put a woman uh, on the Supreme Court as as a jurist, right? Uh, There was, uh, you know, of course, there was pushback from mediocre white males. Uh, but not the same kind of pushback that we're we're seeing now, right? So President Biden, when he was down in South Carolina, uh, um, uh, Clyburn uh, kind of put his feet to the fire and was like, hey, I need you to promise certain things in order for me to give you this endorsement in, in South Carolina. And one of those things was, you know, to, to, to appoint the first uh, black jurist if an opportunity presented itself during his presidency, uh, if there's a Supreme Court opening, right? So a couple things here, right? So there was a Supreme Court opening during the Obama administration, right? He didn't choose to to put a black woman jurist on the Supreme Court when that opening occurred, right? And I don't know if there was as much energy towards Obama uh, as as there as there could have been or should have been with regards to him making that decision. Right, come on, huh? Come on, say it now. But but if we're looking at this uh, from our community, a whole hell of a lot of smoke should have went to uh, President Obama, who we placed on this pedestal. I also have on a pedestal as well. But uh, more smoke could have been given to him. But we're seeing folks like the senator, good senator. Uh, I don't know if he's the senior senator or the junior senator in the state of Mississippi. And then we got a racist ass Ted Cruz that are now saying that, um, um, you know, making this appointment to the Supreme Court, a black woman is going to be affirmative action or whatever. And th- those th- those things are so, they're so uh, uh, 
Tropes. This it's so overly gross and miscalculated and pandering to a particular base when they make these kind of commentaries. Because if you look at the current makeup of the Supreme Court and you look at the data surrounding those who who benefit from affirmative action, then we would know that the last appointee was the major benefactor of affirmative action. Talking about uh, Comey Barrett, right? Because white women benefit from affirmative action more than anyone else in the country. So how dare them make this affirmative action uh, uh, correlation? And what are you guys' thoughts? I'm so I'm going to jump in first and real, real quick. So when I was little, I used to want to be a Supreme Court judge. So if you oh. ask me what I was going to be when I said, when I grow up, I'm going to be the first black female Supreme Court judge. I didn't know what that meant. Um, I, I took the LSAT. I studied sociology with a minor in criminology and thought I was going to do that. But that wasn't the path that God put for me. But I will say, despite all of the, the negative talk around it, as soon as they talked about it, I immediately felt worried for my sisters. I immediately mm. felt like they're going to run them over the coals. Yep. They, I don't want to see the heron. They're going to have them sitting there critiquing everything they say, everything they do. They're going to go back in their history and find somebody they owe 15 cents from the ice cream truck and call them a thief. I immediately felt worried about the way they would be treated, regardless of whether they get who they were selecting or who they would approve. I immediately felt worried. And, uh, you know, I felt some secondhand trauma around like this fear that we always have as black women about how we have to show up and what is going to be um, interpreted by our words, by our actions, by our hair color, by our earrings, who we dated, where we lived, what we eat, what we drink. And I immediately felt worried. I'll hmm. pass it to Doc. I mean, I was seeding all of my time to you because I think that um, when it comes to something like this, um, I start to cussing, number one, because it angers me so bad because, um, you know, the, the way in which folks behave, whether it's Reagan, um, is just disgusting because in Republican circles, Ronald Reagan is revered, right? At least he used not to be. All, not, all, not all Republican circles, but I hear you. Well... And in in the in the Republican circles, I know people who revere Ronald Reagan. So let me put it that way. I stand corrected. Fair enough. <laughs> and so when I heard this, I was just like, Ted Cruz, like you you are now the arbiter of protecting black women. When in fact, you don't want to protect any people of color because your state and you did not stand in solidarity with uh, uh, our Latino brothers and sisters when they were separating families and putting kids in cages. But now all of a sudden you wanna be the moral consciousness of America. Come on, man, like that that's just absurd. And as I always say to people, right? One of the greatest forms of affirmative action, both in, and I'll say it in charter schools elite prep schools and y'all Ivies. We don't have that problem in uh, our raggedy state state schools because, you know, we just let everybody in and we, we had the best parties. But anyway, that's another story. Um, is, is sibling preference. It's another form of affirmative action. And what we know about sibling preference is that through sibling preference, 
white kids tend to benefit more of the black kids who do benefit hmm. in, in schools that have like magnet and specific type of academic programs. It's families who typically um, have a income that is above 85 to a hundred thousand uh, dollars combined, right? Like they're not living below the poverty line. So in some ways it cuts across late race lines and economic lines. And so there are different ways in which we see Kyle Shanahan is only the coach of uh, the San Francisco 49ers because of affirmative action. The affirmative action is known as his dad, Mike Shanahan, right? Like he was given a leg up over these other people because of who his father was. And I'm not suggesting that, that Kyle Shanahan is a bad football coach. All I'm saying that as he has advanced at such a young age, comparatively speaking to the brother who was the, the head coach at, and, at, uh, in Houston for a year, and he was like in his 60s and was a career assistant coach, hmm. you know, he advanced pretty quickly because of that. Um, and so I, I just, I find it offensive. Uh, I'm not going to get to cussing. Um, and I actually have every confidence that the sister who is nominated, she going to be, she she's going to be the one who uh, will stand in front of them and look at them with the memory of the ancestors and fire hoses and dogs and everything else and say, like, I'm here for my people. So you say what you got to say and I'm going to give you back what my ancestors paid the ultimate price for. So I'm actually looking forward to the hearings because I have every confidence that this sister is going to be fired. Now, I am nervous and afraid of the things that will happen similar to the ways in which Anita Hill was destroyed, right? And so there's ample evidence to Dr. H's uh, point that there's reason to be um, concerned, right? So she, but Anita, uh, speaking of Anita Hill, she was destroyed by mediocre white men. Correct. One that happens to be the president and one who's blackface that's uh, on the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. Right. It also is like, you know, it's just it's cheap to just use race as the thing that you now call out, right? It just cheapens it. Like, why do we have to? It just seems like such a cheap and easy way to, to polarize people. And now it doesn't want, turn to really. Yeah, go ahead. I want to shout out Lindsey Graham, though. Right. Because because, uh, you know, even though, you know, Lindsey Graham can show up as Russian at times. Right. Uh, he, he came out for for the uh, the Supreme Court, uh, the, the potential uh, Supreme Court nominee that could come from South Carolina, said, you know, she's a wonderful person or whatever. And then there's also a sister who uh, I forget her name uh, as we're talking, but she had gotten bipartisan support uh, oh, yeah. through through the, the 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 level highest to uh uh, yeah, the yeah. Supreme Court, right? So she had gotten uh, three votes. I think um, um, Markowski from uh, Alaska, uh, Graham, and then somebody else. And Graham is on the Judicial Committee, right? So, like, I, I feel like the person that comes out, uh, even if they get one Republican vote, that's still bipartisan uh, support, right? Yeah. And uh, it was good to see our good friend Joe Manchin uh, come out and say that he's fully behind this and he fully supports this uh, 100%. Right. I like it's it, but I also need Biden to do some other things he said, like cancel student debt. So he didn't say that. What did he say? He said he was going to cancel a certain portion of student he debt. He can cancel that part of student debt. Do that well, he, too. Yeah. 
it ain't it ain't showed up for me. So I neither. Uh, so I want to until it's confirmed. I want to see it. You know, lots of people will tell you what they want to hear to get you to be quiet and to get you to go along. Yeah, but but but, but you know what? That's an interesting argument, though, right? Because you got folks that are that are looking at uh at folks that are poverty adjacent, right? And they're saying that you know you got us middle class folks that are fighting to get these loans uh uh, dis- uh dismissed, right? But then what what about the poor folks? So I, I do want to give uh Biden some credit. In terms of, I want to give him some credit in terms of um, what he's done, the work that he's done to eliminate um, child poverty, right? And so, uh, you know, if we if we got kids that are now getting fed, we got families that are that are no longer um, uh, poverty adjacent. You know, I, I want to lift that because I, I grew up poor and I know how that feels. Uh, I know how it feels to be waiting on uh, food stamps and, and, and things of that nature, right? That's not a good feeling. Yeah, yeah so, I get it. But, you know, some of us in the middle class got it because we had to spend a lot of money on this debt. And so if I had not, if I took the money that I spent to go to schools to get these master's degrees in this Ivy League, I wouldn't yeah. be, I'd, I'd be in a different kind of way. So we can do both. With no debt, though. With we no debt. I should have went to trade school. I, but we can talk about this on, right. on another episode about why we what we could have done. That's right. <laughs> and what we need to do if we want a workforce that's going to sustain, because even the way we are educating young people now is not going to be the future. So yeah. we got some shifts that we need to make if we really want to see some young people excel. We could definitely talk about this next episode. I, I, I see some fire. Put on the sideline. Right? 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 Yeah. So, folks, uh, we gave you a whole 15 minutes extra. Enjoy it. Won't happen much. Uh, but but <laughs> but this is the Black Herstory uh, episode. So please, <laughs> uh, please, please, please share, like, uh, and help us distribute this or whatever. We'll see you next Tuesday. Uh, thank you. And you, have, you just have a good night.